Hey everybody, Ted King here with another episode of King of the Ride podcast. It is not the first time that I've said the world is our recording studio. This conversation took place on the eve of Mid-South. In particular, it was a short window that we had carved out just before the pre-race meeting, which to anyone who has experienced the pre-race meeting at Mid-South knows is much more of a concert than a meeting, thanks to the legend that is Bobby Wintle. The sun was setting, the shakeout ride with SRAM was complete, the numbers were pinned on bikes, the overall busyness of the event was at a calm for this brief half hour that we carved out. So I was psyched to pick the brain of my former colleague from the world tour, Nicholas Roach. Nico is our guest today. Speaking of that world is our studio anecdote, as we were roaming downtown Stillwater, the two of us, in search of a quiet spot to record this conversation, we did happen to overtake a random van's campsite where two chairs were quietly set out. So to you fine chair-owning folks who stumbled upon our conversation, thank you very much. An incredibly noteworthy career, Nico was a professional road racer from 2005 all the way through 2021. Folks, I finished two of the four Grand Tours that I raced. Nico finished 22 of the 24 Grand Tours he raced. Twice finishing in the top 10 general classification at the Vuelta. There's also the staggering number of 43 times finishing in the top 10 on Vuelta stages. This Irishman is a two-time national champion. A very recent retiree, like I said, 2021, from the World Tour, where his schedule only now has seemingly kicked into high gear. He's racing an absurdly busy gravel calendar with something like six or seven trips to North America alone from his home base in Europe. He's also spending time behind the wheel as a director of Trinity Racing. That's the development team in Europe that's graduated some fine rippers like this Tom Pidcock fella. Luke Lamperti, American racer, what, 19 years old? He's, he's tearing up the scene on that team. Nico has been commentating for years now, something that he juggled while racing, and now in a more prominent role outside of his pro-roadie days. So you can hear his sultry tones on GCN from time to time. He's also going to be commentating the Tour de France for our American audience this July. Suffice it to say, this guy has got a busy calendar, so I'm happy with the time that we had. We hung out all throughout Mid-South, but especially the half hour of time that we carved out for this conversation. Speaking of busy... It's the daily juggle of work, life, family, health, all of those things that has me reaching for AG1 by Athletic Greens every morning. The vitamins, minerals, micronutrients, adaptogens, and probiotics are all derived from real foods. This product is NSF certified for the safety stamp of approval from a contamination standpoint. And the stuff just tastes good. Look, if you're tired of juggling bottles of vitamins, look no further than AG1 by Athletic Greens. It is as simple as can be. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Ted King. Again, athleticgreens.com slash Ted King. And you will pick up a year's supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. It is the daily nutritional insurance that I rely on to start my day, and I trust that you will try it and be on board also. Thanks for getting this far into the intro. Let's wait no further. Please welcome Nicholas Roach to the show. (laughs) 
for one, thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate it. You are you are now on King of the Ride podcast. Thank you, Nico, Nicholas Roche, for being here. Uh, now, unless there is some sort of magic that I can pull off to get this podcast online by tomorrow, this is definitely going to come out after Mid-South. Okay. You are on something of a road trip. Um, walk me through a bit of what you've been doing for the past days, weeks, Etc. Give me, give me the, give me the most recent trip uh, to North America. So my recent trip to North America. So my adventure started on the first of March. Um, flew into to Phoenix, and um, it was um, so my brother also came along. Uh, it's going to be his. It was his first time leaving Europe, so he was he was really really excited. First time leaving uh, Europe? Yeah, for my little brother. Ever? Ever. Goodness yeah. gracious. Yeah. Okay. And he's 24, so it was a big thing. And, you know, he's the one that got me into gravel, so he was, like, living a dream. Yeah. Uh, he was so, so overexcited about every single thing. Uh, and the funny story was that um, we, we were on, diff- uh, on, on different flights. I'd, I'd book a couple of months in advance. Uh, and just because... You know, when, you, when I, I find out that when you're doing everything on a budget, you have to be cautious of every penny you spend. Yes. Uh, and for me, although flying with Air France is a bit of a longer journey, and this journey ended up being a little bit more expensive than I flew BA like my brother did. Yeah. Well, with Air France, because of my miles I get and my kind of gold card, yeah. I get the bike for free and I get an extra suitcase for free. Yeah. So it kind of balances out. So yeah. I had to fly Air France and I had a couple of connections where my brother flew to London and then straight to 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 Phoenix and he was supposed to arrive about four hours early yeah. and um, and because of that snowstorm he was devi- deviated to uh, to Vegas oh, nice. and uh, so he was like oh I wish the storm lasted longer and I would have spent a day in Vegas uh-huh, and uh-huh. unfortunately not he landed in Vegas and they stayed there for an hour and then once the snowstorm passed away <laughs> he flew back and made his way into Phoenix so he actually arrived after me um, to go back a couple of weeks before that I, I could not find a hotel. Well, that's one thing I've learned about uh, U.S. gravel scene is usually locations are pretty remote. Yeah. And accommodation is, is something you have to look, if not months in advance. And, and that was my, my first... Uh, my first kind of lesson learned. Uh-huh. And, you know, I thought, you know, uh, Scottsdale's close enough. But sure. then it's like, yeah, well, cause close enough on the map, but then you put it down and it's like 40 minutes drive. And uh, and that's my lesson number two is don't trust uh, the two dots on Google. Always go and place the actual distance yeah. <laughs> and the time it takes you by car because everything is, is much bigger than in Europe. <laughs> uh, and if it's the next neighborhood, you could be 40 minutes drive from the next neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So that was lesson two learned very quickly. So straight away I was like, okay, this is cool. Maybe I can jump on the camper experience. And um, <laughs> why can I not uh, embrace the whole camper thing? And so I went online, started booking a camper, and did a few uh, few posts on, on social media. And um, is that there's chairs? I don't think so. Possibly. <laughs> and I uh, went on social media. Started putting a few posts because again I was had to learn and. There's, there's every size you can imagine on these on these apps for renting a, a camper van. Yeah. And lucky enough, I had loads of response from, from from guys in America or foreigners that had rented in the US about, no, no, there's no restrictions about the RV size and whatever. So, okay, cool. So I can take something big enough where I can go for a 10-day road trip with my brother yeah. and, and have our own space. And, um, and, and literally speaking, then I was like, okay, 
uh, I call call the organizer. I says, "Okay, hey, where's the? Is there parking at the start finish area?" And he goes, "No, you, you're gonna have to go into um, into our RV slot." I was like, "Oh, okay." Start googling that and couldn't find one that was 40 minutes close to, to the to the start venue. So I was like, "This actually beats the purpose." Like, you know, for the RV, it was just like <laughs> literally just walk out the van and go into the right, finish right, line right, right, or start finish line. Yeah. And so I had to cancel that. Lucky enough, I had uh, taken this insurance, so I. I actually couldn't cancel the whole thing there was still $300 of fees but you could renegotiate that on your next trip yeah. so I didn't fully cancel it and, and so the RV is just postponed so that was lesson two is like alright look for the RV side first and then <laughs> and then get the RV <laughs> and uh, hey, how are you? you should continue this yeah. are you okay if we <laughs> commandeer your chairs? they are the comfiest chairs they are amazing we're actually doing a very friendly is it okay if we, we're doing a podcast is that okay? Please, I want, please do a podcast like, from right now. Like, literally, as we yeah, speak. Yeah, we're, we're, we're right. Sorry. <laughs> we were looking for a bench, and we couldn't find one, so we ended up here. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. And then, um, yeah, so that was your RV experience. So anyway, rented a car, and obviously get to the airport and forgot that there was my brother there as well, so I had to <laughs> change car size to take a much bigger Two humans fan. and two bike boxes is yeah. no joke. And suitcases and yeah. everything. And like it, it takes a big car. So again, I looked at, you know, like economy car and whatever. It's like, okay, now I'm just, I'm just going to have to bite the bullet and take a bigger car. Yeah. Also worked that okay because I... I decided that I was going to go on a whole road trip and, and drive all the way to Oklahoma. And, you know, there was two ways. Is or I stay a couple of days in Arizona and fly. Yeah. Or, or just go on a road trip. For my first time doing this kind of adventure, I thought I really wanted to embrace adventure. Yeah. And the good thing about gravel racing is you're, you're so run down after the event uh-huh. that you can afford doing two, three days kind of backing off. Totally. Uh, where, you know, when you're on the road and like on Tuesday you're bombed straight away back out training and smashing it. Where where on Wednesday I was still on my knees. So <laughs> it was a bit tiring to to start off and and drive those. You know, I was doing like three hours on the bike and then seven hours driving and then literally just on, on the car, stop at the petrol station, look on the app, all right, find a hotel, rock up to the hotel, walk across the road to whatever bar or restaurant or fast food chain that I found on the hey, moment yeah. and I just went on with it and it was pretty cool. Drove all through Arizona into New Mexico. Uh-huh. Did my first stop in, uh, in New Mexico and... Um, experience there when I had three hours riding in the morning I went up these beautiful climbs back down and then drove all the way to, to Texas uh-huh. and um, and again it was like oh should I should I just go all the way to, to Oklahoma and the weather forecast wasn't great so again I was like okay I'm, I'm gonna stay in Texas definitely it'd be nice weather and I wake up in the morning and I couldn't see the front of the car I was like okay where where is the car in the car park and I was like okay that's it I'm not gonna go out training in this in this fog it was just way too deep <laughs> so I'm just gonna drive uh, to Oklahoma to Stillwater and and then hopefully it, it dried up because it was supposed to be uh, a lot of rain in the morning and yeah. I actually arrived here and it was cold, but it was all dry, and I, I went out and, and did like a three-hour-and-a-half-hour ride, and I was just loving life. You've, you've basically reached like peak gravel experience in North America over the course of, what, two weeks? And, and you're coming back something insane, like you said six or seven times this year? Yeah, uh, I have a lot of trips. Um, it's, probably, it's probably actually more. Uh, I, th- I think August I counted as one trip. I should be doing two, maybe three races, so yeah. the whole month of August. Yeah. And then um, 
I, I was going to come back for for Gravel Locos in September, uh-huh. but there's the European Championships on the same weekend. So, what, European Gravel Championships? Yeah, they okay. just pulled that out of the bag a week ago. Yeah. So so now I just have to see what sponsors and stuff, where, which one I can go to. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I'm coming anyway for, for the end of the season races. So give me, give me the timeline uh, of grasping the gravel schedule because like you're talking about like the privateer program means you are your own travel agent you are looking after finances you're looking after your own uh travel accommodations hotels staff and everything exactly when when in the calendar when when did you decide to get into this program in october october 2020 yeah 2022 yeah so basically i I was like, I wanted to do more races, and I was like, okay, does it, the calendar in Europe is growing, and I, I can commit to some of these World Series. And I came here in, in October, and I did uh, BWR Kansas and Big Sugar. Yeah. And I was like, I think I can do a lot more than this. And and I'm lucky enough that I, I won't say no strings attached, but I, I have this freedom that I can just go away. Yeah. Uh, and you know when you're 39 it's not granted to have that that freedom you usually have it when you're 22 Uh, and now I'm like I want to do this for a year or two and it's going to be an opportunity and a life changing experience and I just I just want to go for it and and sink it in and I made so much sacrifices during my my road career Uh I've traveled a lot but never I was never able to really embrace the cultures or the countries we traveled in because you're just staying in the hotel and you you, you get told off if you go up bloody staircases instead of going in the elevator. Exactly. So, um, off the record, I did go and wander around in some of the towns to have a look uh, uh, because I just felt it was was a pity. Like, you know, when we we started in in some amazing destinations uh, and if I could, if we arrived there on the Thursday and were racing on the Sunday, well, I'd usually go and have a walk in the city center and see stuff because I just felt that it was also a missed out opportunity so this is just 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 great and and also at the moment where it's like yes i train and yes i'm cautious with my food but if i want to smash a burger and a local beer i go for it and i don't think twice about it yeah yeah it's it has been funny the transition uh i stopped racing the world tour 2015 and for me, it was like very much the end of intervals and training and diet. And I mean, it was it was very casual. And as a, as a result of the the rise in competitivity over the past handful of years, like yeah, you need to you need to pay attention to those things. Like mm-hmm. you can't completely throw it out the window. Um, what was your most recent? What year did you retire from the World Tour? So end of twenty one. So and that year, was a, So that's thirteen months ago. And how long was your career? Eighteen years, seventeen and a half. Eighteen years in the World Tour. Yeah. Including a pandemic. Yeah. Um, outside of saying 18 years is a, a considerable amount of time, what what was the impetus to say I'm done? Like, at what point uh, in that calendar year did you say I'm, I'm ready to be done? Very late. Yeah? Very late. Uh, August. No kidding. Uh, I was at the Olympics, and I was with, uh, with my cousin, um, Dan, and when he told me he was going to retire, it was initially a bomb. And when we talked about it, it was like... Man, that's how I feel. Wait, it was... What, what year is this? 2021? 20, 21, yeah. That was when Dan, your cousin Dan Martin... Decided, told me he was going to announce in a couple of weeks that he was going to retire. He hadn't made that public yet? No. Okay, interesting. We, we, were, we were just talking and he said, that's it, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, I'm done with 
all the reasons he gave me, and I was sure. like, but most of the things you're telling me is, is just, I can relate to that. And I think I was just closing an eye and, and dealing with that. Uh, and then I went, after Olympics, I, I was struggling with the team, with DSM. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was really angry they didn't put me in the third team. I was even more angry that they took me out of the Volta because I went to the Olympics. And I don't think it was fair that I had to choose between going to the Olympics or going to the Volta. Uh-huh. But in their processes, because I was missing out on an altitude tam- camp, I wasn't ready. Saying that, I was sixth in the Volta without going in altitude camp. But, but anyway, all that was, was cleared and we... But it was just, I was so frustrated and... And, and, and all that just made me think that it's like, do I like this cycling? Yeah. And, and you know, I've been through some of the top teams in the world, and I've been coached with some of the top guys. I've ridden with some of the top athletes, and I was I was always kind of respected, and I always had a kind of my bit of freedom, and that was my balance. I could work so hard, I could sacrifice so much, but I needed to have my balance. Yeah. Uh, and when my balance went out of balance, I was like, what am I doing this for? Uh, what's my purpose here? When I started talking with teams and all they were interested was my experience and they were saying, oh, we don't want to put pressure on you for results. It's like, no, I'm good enough. I want results. And I realized there was a moment that not everyone's like Valverde or these older riders. There's a moment where, where a lot of teams that are looking about and talking about development, it's a problem when they have an old guy still kicking the ass of... Ouch! Uh, of these young guys who are supposedly the next big thing, and, and that was a problem because I, although I was aging, I was still better than a lot of the young guys. Where they wished I was just there to help them out and, and teach them and give them my advice and, and share all my experience, and um, and I was competitive enough and making enough sacrifices. So when teams did not count on me for my performances and not as in performances as in getting results as in being there when it matters yeah uh, because I was a road captain for the last six years so it wasn't about me anymore it's about but I needed a goal I needed to be with a big guy and say all right this is where the race is going to happen we count on you to make the race hard here yeah. and then the other three guys are going to take over in the last climb because I wasn't climbing as well um, the last two or three years and uh, when all that went out I was like why am I doing all this why of course the financial side is always an important side and I have a very expensive divorce so so every penny counts there again (laughs) but it was like okay but what if I just I just need to do something else I wasn't enjoying 2021 I did not enjoy one bit of it and I had a lot of a lot of issues with the team on on many matters on training on diets I I really struggled with the team we talked about it many times and and that was their way and it's you know it's not they're a bad team it's just I struggled with how we work together Uh and um, and understand how it works for young guys it just did not work with me and their their non-flexibility was was a problem for me where they tried to completely change me on my last year in, in the pro peloton. I was like, no, you don't need to change me. It's too late. <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't completely do 90% of different training that I that I that I did. And we just came on, you know. And I was like, what am I doing? It's like, should I go to a team that one doesn't want me to be there and perform? Uh, and two, at the age of 38, it's like, okay, I do two more years, so I'd be 38, 39. Um, I need to to go in a new environment and learn 
everyone's name, settle in. And when you change team, it takes it takes you about six months before you you settle in, 100%. Uh, yeah. and sometimes even more. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard enough when you're young, and it's harder again when you're older. You have more personality. You're more problematic because you're not just always following the rules, like as a yeah. you know a young kid full of. Uh, full of good intentions uh, and you have your own experience that clashes sometimes with the experience of the team. So basically when Dan said that, I was like, okay, well, I, th I think I'm right. And the week after the Olympics, because I wasn't doing the Vuelta, uh, GCN gave me a call and says, well, do you want to come and do some, some comms with us? Yeah. I was like, well, sure thing. So, so I was still racing and I went from the Olympics home for a couple of days and straight off to the, to the Vuelta in, uh, to the studio in London in Bath actually and did five days of, uh, of comms and I was still capable of training I was doing you know two hours in the morning two hours in the evening so I was still getting my four, my four hours a day yeah. um, and after that took the boat across into northern France and go into race Plouet <laughs> and some guy took me down uh, literally just didn't look where he was going and um, came uh, it was like a dip you know like you know, go full down uh, straight and then it went up up the climb and the peloton slowed down and the guy was still head down oh my and just went straight into the back of me and took me out and I, and I was like like these kids they, 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 they're great they're super strong but they have no idea how to race in a bunch yeah. and, and this is a new trend like all these 19 year olds coming into pro cycling and they're stronger than, than I've never been and I've never done a 6.5 watt per kilo 20 minute test <laughs> but, but, but they just not all of them have the capability of riding their bike in the world to a peloton and it takes some time to adapt to that yeah it's not about how strong you are it's also about how you maneuver in, in the peloton and it's also why some guys who maybe weren't as talented manage to get a good 10 12 year career because they know how to work themselves in a peloton and um anyway i was like i got to the bus and, and called mcquade my andrew my, my, my manager and said that's it i'm done I, I took a decision. I'm done, yeah. uh, and so so that little tumble in 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 um, what you call it in in Plouet just just made me realize that I, I just I just didn't enjoy that. The week after, I went to Tour Britain. Uh, Dan announced that he was going to retire, uh -huh. and I had a good Tour Britain, and I enjoyed it. I didn't want to say it. Uh, I. I had this in the back of my mind that I was going to retire, and the world champ, the our championships were were postponed till till October because of of COVID, and um, that's all right. The world's the the Irish champs are literally 30 minutes drive from where I live. I'm going to call a couple of my um, like longtime friends to come over. I'm going to do a party on Sunday night with some of my friends. I booked a restaurant with some some of my friends, and I didn't tell the media because I didn't want to deorganize and knew about it. Yeah. Uh, because I, I wanted to be clear with him. Says, look, this is my last, you know, my last, uh, my last ever pro race, and um, I said, that's it. Um, uh, he says, oh, can I can I announce it because you might get more people? I says, no, because I don't think it's fair because we'll only talk about me retiring and not about the actual champion. So sure. I waited on on the Monday to Monday evening to, to announce that I was gonna that I was gonna retire. And it was funny because it's when um, when Instagram crashed. So I had just posted. <laughs> so I was getting all my mates sending me uh, messages yeah. because they I was I posted on Twitter as well. Yeah. And I'm like I was like, oh Nico's news of retirement crashed the Instagram and all that. <laughs> so we had a good laugh about it and I'll, I always remember that uh, that 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 when I posted about my retirement, literally ten minutes later Instagram crashed. Yeah, yeah. Naturally, you get a call from Zuckerberg or <laughs> yeah. whoever. Confidence boost. Yeah. Um, I mean, man, oh man, you hit, you hit on 
a variety of things, not least of which is, is uh, commentary and doing, doing commentary for races. When you go over and start uh, commentating the Vuelta, you do five days there, is there an onboarding process or do they just purely give you the mic and say, good luck? Cause, cause, because commentary has become a significant part of what you're doing right mm. now in 2023. So I've been doing comms with, um, with, with GCN and Eurosport for the last, I guess, four years already. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so they've invited me a few times um, during races. And, for example, in 2018, when I didn't ride the Tour de France, I did five days on site with them. Nice. And again, because they were, they were on site on the Tour and at the Pyrenees, for me it was amazing because we started like around lunchtime. Yeah. So I'd get up at seven yeah. and then go and ride my bike for about three or four hours because, again, I was still racing. Sure, sure. Uh, and, and literally there's, there's like these portable showers where the, the, the TV trucks are to get a quick shower, grab lunch, and then go and do some comms. And if the hotel wasn't too far, I'd cycle in the evening. So I was still getting like some proper training. Proper training, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I've been doing that um, quite, quite, quite often. They, they'd call me and say, Aniko, do you want to do some comms? And, and I really enjoyed it, and, and they, they helped me out with that. And um, last year, I was, I was supposed to do a lot more days with them. Yeah. And um, for, I don't know, whatever reason, but they've, they've taken other, other riders as well. Uh, on board as well and they, they kind of tend to share their, their their load of work so I only did Romandy Pay Basque and then um, I think I did a third race with them which I, I can't remember now and then this year now I'm going to do Tour Romandy with them in a couple of weeks time Yeah. and um, I still do bits and pieces I was with them in December doing a um, a show on the ri- big rivals but so that one was Contador versus Schleck so two guys that I, that I know pretty well Sure. and then um, I'm doing something with them next week when I go back home nice. and they're, they're doing a report on, on one of the French mountain bikers Barrel okay. down with our guy and um, basically they wanted me because I've been like living 22 years in the south of France yeah. so it was more about why south of France uh, a good spot and we all know why Monaco is because obviously you, you include south of France plus tax reasons yep. but, but why is that spot um, good because you know Monaco is one thing but south of France is, uh, also includes a lot, of, a lot of riders yeah yeah no kidding uh, how much you are not far removed from the world tour re- retiring a year and a half ago how much research do you have to do to to stay apprised of of the hot new fresh thing in cycling uh is it is it a matter of purely watching races and reading media or yeah 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 that's that's the only way like i i realize now i started following a lot of riders that i'd never heard of sure just because i i need to see what they're doing if they're training if they're injured if they're crashed yep uh and um like i did the first race in in Marseillaise this year with French TV, yeah, and um, I I started looking at the start sheet on 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 the Friday, and I was like, oh, how am I going to do this? Yeah, there was probably I think no more than half a dozen riders I knew. <laughs> I, th- I think I think there was maybe eight or ten riders I knew. Yeah. All the others, like you know, it, it's a smaller race, it's a French Cup, so there was a lot of. Conti teams from Belgium, from France, yeah. from smaller cycling countries as well. Plus, a lot of the um, a lot of the World Tour team send their young guys. Yeah. So it's basically the average age of the race was probably 22, 23. Uh, and I'm like, when they're asking me like favorites, I was like, I don't know. I was like, I, I, I don't know. I, I need to. And lucky enough, there's a lot of uh, information available on apps and, yeah, yeah. and online that even during the race, I, I could just go and, 
and Googled when the breakup was done and try and get some research. So you're, you're constantly working and and we're in the comms booth. We we have the laptop, we have the iPad, we have sure. the phone. Like you just need all the detail because, you know, obviously I, I have a lot of knowledge, but I don't know these guys. Right. I, I they're just just you know maybe two months pro. Well, exactly. Like you can have all the information in the world, and you can you can know a lot of the riders, but you have to know what the person looks like on a screen. And and maybe somebody changes teams. Or, oh my lord! Like, and the team whole... names change as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. like for me, just to, to like Alula, for example, I'm still calling them like Green Edge or exactly. or Quickstep from uh-huh. ten years ago. Uh-huh. You know? It's like almost Ineos. I want to call them Sky. It's, yeah. it's just it's so difficult to when you're so engraved in in, in the kind of the old school kind of cycling. Yeah. To, when when teams change, when riders change. Uh, and also, I mean, today a lot of the contracts are, are, are pretty solid. So, you know, helmet, eyewear, shoes, everyone wears the same thing. Yeah. Uh, even body shapes and size, there's not many, you know, big, tall guys or small guys. Everyone kind of looks the same. Yeah. It's gone really kind of in the middle. <laughs> um, it's not easy to spot them. So, like, you know, I was asked, like, Last year, I, I and for the next two years, I'm, I'm commentating on the Tour de France for the international feed, uh-huh. uh, and the Tour is the easiest race to, to commentate because you got all the big celebrities, all the superstars, yeah. uh, guys that you know, and already you're seven months in the season. So even if you didn't know him in January and he's won five stages of Catalonia, well, you know his name by then. Yeah. So yeah. the Tour de France, and it's a Tour de France. I I was obviously a kind of more. Uh, Grand Tour rider, so I understand the tactics of the green jersey and what teams go for, mm-hmm. and not every team has the same goal. Mm-hmm. When you're in a one-week race, that is not about sacrificing your team for a green jersey or for a Polkadot jersey. It's about GC or stages. It's kind of more simple, and there's a lot going on in the tour. So that's where my power is: is, is really understanding that um, the structure and the reasons why things happen in the Grand Tour. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I only do the Tour. I would have loved to do the Giro or the Volta as a, as a commentator. But, but actually, during the Giro, I'll be, be over here in the States. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. We were talking earlier about where you have to go in order to, to be in the box, whether you're at the finish line of a race or if you're commentating for GCN, for example, you're, you're in London. Yeah. So when you're doing Peacock, the NBC affiliate here in North America, what? Are you in? I'm at the Tour. So we go finish okay, to finish. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Got it. And, and once again, it's pretty cool because I get to train. And what I do is I, I always ride the last 20 or 30 kilometers. Yeah, yep. So out and back. So I get at least two hours every day. Yeah. And also because you see things that are not in the roadbook. Yeah. I know the short line in the roundabout. Sure. I know if there's a, a 2% drag, you don't see it on TV. Right, but right. you feel it. Right. And if it's tailwind, and sometimes the wind changes because I'm here in front of my TV box and have my notes that, okay, if the tailwind is going to be super fast, and I look at the flag and it's going exactly. completely the other way. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. Because, <laughs> you know, obviously I'm doing these recons that, you know, I get up pretty early to go and do them. Yeah, so I'd be yeah. I'd be on the bike by, by 7.38. Uh-huh. Uh, or so by the time I get to the course, it's probably be like 9, 10. Mm-hmm. I'm in the comms boot by 1. So, But by the time they're at the finish, it could be 4 o'clock. Exactly. So there's a long time. So the wind, man, often the man. wind changes. Yeah. Uh, but again, I look at all these weather apps and all that. But uh, I feel it gives me so much more to talk about when, when I understand and I feel. So I ride these, these, I do these recons pretty fast, pretty full on. Yeah. Because I need to feel, and, and you know yourself, how the road goes and where you need to, to hold the power or on the opposite, let go. Because then you know that if it's a 2% drag, 
well, maybe there's a chance for an attack and a breakaway, or maybe it's just too fast and it's going to be a bunch print. Yeah. Uh, and those are little details that I that could only get if I ride them. So I, I use that to my advantage. So, okay, I'm I'm still fit enough. And actually, I, I meet a lot of the guys on the bike, but they usually do kind of a an easier, kind of more explained recon for the TV. So they get the GoPro, and and I do that too. I get my you know 5k to go, turn left, and it's going to be another straight line, and yep. then turn just two roundabouts and the 4k to go and whatever. So so I do that too, but. But I also ride a couple of Ks out further. I don't just do the 5K in sure. or the 15K in GoPro video. I, I go out and I kind of smash it. Also, even sometimes I, I try and go for the comm uh, just to have an idea of how long the time is uh-huh. the, the, of the climb. Obviously, they're much faster. Yeah. But I know if the climb is going to be a three minute at 600 watts or it's going to be two minutes 20. Because also then, for example, the Van Aert attack uh, in the tour yeah. in, the, in that stage, well, I did a recon and on paper, it looked like nothing. Yeah. And I did a recon that morning and the wind was, there was no wind. So it wasn't as, so he had a full on tailwind, which helped him afterwards. Sure. But when I did that recon on the climb, I was like, it looked like nothing on paper, and I was like, nah, impossible that it breaks. But I went full gas onto it, and, and I got to the top, and my legs were burning like hell, and I was like, <laughs> ouch, like yeah. this is tough. I completely, I just did like a, like a sprint to the top, uh, and just, for, just to have a reference on the camera, I was like, actually, if someone's strong enough and can carry the speed on top, if there's no wind or if it's disorganized and it's the first day I don't know if they've seen the climb it's a if, if a team goes for it it's tough and, and, and I made the call there and thing I didn't know it was going to happen I just said I did the recon this morning and this climb is going to surprise guys because yeah. if the speed is on uh, and a team's going to I thought a team was going to go and try and drop their sprinters so I did mention that remember this is the first week of the tour mm-hmm. so I did mention that Jumbo was going to go for it uh, to drop Philipson, Jacobson. Yeah. I never thought he was going to go solo. Mm-hmm. But it was like, okay, they're going to put the pressure. I know it. They're going to put the pressure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think they were going to go on a full-on <laughs> attack. But anyway, it was just, those are the things that you could, you could only feel if yeah. you've actually ridden it and ridden it hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, in an effort to make it to the riders meeting which is going to start any yeah. minute now we are doing a very truncated podcast you also in addition to commentary in addition to gravel racing in addition to a variety of other things you are uh, you're, you're doing a little sports directing mm-hmm. with Trinity is with that Trinity right? yeah I mean yeah so phenomenal development program you have a lot going on I mean I think I wear many hats and in talking to you today during our SRAM shakeout ride it was I was blown away with how much you have going on give me top three things or what are the what are you looking forward to in 2023 because you have a heck of a lot going on. Yeah, so that's probably the hardest question to answer. Yeah. Uh, I think why I do so much, I I think is because I'm still finding myself, uh, and that's the reason why I just like take on everything. Yeah. Uh, in a very selfish way, I, I I told you early on on the bike, I, I was gone 27 days out of 28 in in February. Yeah. Uh, and I'm gone most of here and uh, of March, and then I'll be gone for eight weeks in a row for a round tour trip between May and June, and then I go home for five days and I go to the tour, and then I'm back in the states for three weeks in August. Great. So I'm spending a lot of time alone, and I, I think the gravel definitely scratches an itch, and I wanted that lifetime experience. Yeah. Uh, I think with time, I would have to develop into or TV or sports director. Mm-hmm. And um, I think TV is something that I enjoy doing, mainly the tour. 
and, and hopefully my, my big dream is that uh, Andrew with Trinity kind of the team continues and, and continues to grow and develop yep. and then eventually we can grow that and, and I can really support Andrew uh, with the team full time that's kind of my my thing being, being a world tour sports director is something I had in the back of my mind mm-hmm. but I, I'm not ready for that I, I still prefer the idea of being with the young guys in development. Yep. That's 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 where I enjoy more than anything. Um, when I when I did the training camp with them in, in February for two weeks, I'm on the bike with them every day. I suffer with them every day. I do the efforts with them every day, uh, and I think uh, they appreciate it because they can't say, "Oh, he's forgotten what it was." Because sure. I'm doing it with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, you know how it is on a bike. You talk. And it breaks those kind of boundaries and the ice is completely broken and the guys, they open up. You're not just intimidated by this sports director looking at you as ex-world tour rider and you're trying to make it in in these county teams. So being on the bike with them, I I was able to get a lot closer to them Uh, and in a way almost like make friends with with some of them, you know. Nice. Yeah, I dig it. Um, Well, yeah, this is a, a far too truncated conversation. I've told you about the Bobby uh, Bobby Wintle show, who is the director here of Mid South. He is about to get on stage. He is going to be putting on a show. So is that the music we hear in the that background. Is, that is the music <laughs> we're beginning to hear. Uh, thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Nico. Uh, thanks for having me. And there you have it. Thanks very much for listening. Obviously, we have loads more to talk about. I feel like this one could have gone for three hours or more. So, with any luck. Given Nico's transatlantic schedule, time will allow that once again. Again, if you're interested in simplifying your health, starting your day with Athletic Greens is the answer. Check out athleticgreens.com slash tedking and you will quickly see what I mean. That's it. That's all. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy the ride. <laughs>